us. The title of the message message this morning is, Whose Voice Will You Hear? Whose Voice Will You Hear? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Please read with me. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, well, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, well, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anybody else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please bow your heads and pray with me before we begin talking about these verses. Holy Father, come meet us here. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Please guide us in your word this morning. Bring us a word from you. Open wide our hearts to receive it from you. And Father, please shape us and mold us. God, help us uh, hear your voice over and above all the voices that our culture and our world is whispering in our ears. And Father, let us be one in Christ, not divided by all the things of this world. It's in Christ's name and the power of your Holy Spirit that we pray these things. Amen. I have a question for you guys this morning. For those of you who want to have kids one day, will you spank your kids, yes or no? A resounding yes from the audience. Anybody say no? Ah, okay, okay, we got some no's in here too. For those of you who have kids, who are grown, did you spank your children, buddy? Yes, they did. You did? Yes, 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 they did. Yeah, the kids in the room are like, yes, they did, right? Um, That is a political question that I asked you. Not an apolitical, but a a space political question. I'm going to get to why. You know, because when we think about, well, are you going to spank your kids or not? Why, why not? Well, do you want them to become tough and resilient and disciplined as adults? Yes, right? But do you want them to become detached emotionally and controlled by fear? No, right? Sarah? No, right? No, to those things. So the balance of, well, do we spank or not to spank? Right? And some people will say yes, and they'll have their reasons for why they think yes. Some will say no, and they'll have their reasons for why to say no. You can ask me later what my reasons are. Um, but then how about this question? Do you care more about protecting the life of the unborn or the life of a prisoner? Hmm. That's a good question. How about uh, welcoming a stranger across your borders, a foreigner, someone who doesn't have citizenship? How do you feel about that? Yes or no? Right? Your answers to some of these questions, they're hard questions. Your answers 
will expose a little bit about your worldview, the things that matter to you, the things that you think are right and wrong. And what's interesting is the questions I asked, especially the latter few, your answers are probably contradictory. For those of you who really care about protecting the life of the unborn, you probably care a little bit less about protecting the lives of prisoners because in your mind, they're guilty of something and they deserve it. But vice versa, some of you guys care a lot about protecting the lives of, of foreigners and prisoners, but maybe not the lives of the unborn. And you'll have your reasons for that, surely, but maybe our reasons are contradictory and it exposes something about our worldview, how we see the world, what we think is right and wrong, but also how we see one another and whether we think one another is right or wrong. And you might be thinking, whoa, Benjamin, that's inappropriate to talk about in church. That's a little bit too political for me. You're making me uncomfortable. Well, that's the way of Jesus. Jesus, whether you like it or not, was incredibly political. Most of what he said was political. I'm not saying political in the sense that he wanted to be elected to to a government position uh, by a majority ruling or that he wanted to command an army. Not in those ways. But the things he said affected the ways you live your lives in community and what's right or wrong for you. Jesus' words were very political. And how we respond to his words says a little bit about our worldview and exposes something in us. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, it reads, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's political language. Wonderful Counselor? It's not a mental health counselor. That's, that's a counselor who's pronouncing justice. Prince of Peace? That means ruler of peace. The government on his shoulders? Jesus was a political figure, whether or not you like it. And what he says and how you respond to what he says, where you line up with him or where you don't line up with him, says a little bit about your worldview. And the book of 1 Corinthians is going to expose that. See, in verse 10, when Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you. The words Paul is using is actually words from a political slogan used by the Roman Empire, the most powerful government of Paul's day. And it's really interesting. Can you imagine if our our political figures came in and said, every one of you needs to think exactly the same. You guys all have to agree. Because that's not what you see in our elections. That's not what you see in our debates. That's not what you see in American politics or Canadian politics, if you're coming here from Canada at Molina. But the phrase Paul uses, it's a political slogan. It's one that Rome used to enforce peace and order in the empire. Because what Paul is basically saying is, you guys need to have peace and order among you. No divisions. No uprisings. No disagreements. You guys need to be on the same page. But when Rome uses that slogan and says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters of the Roman Empire, that there be no divisions among you. They're saying, well, we... We can enforce peace and order. Why? Because we have the biggest army. We have the most power. So Paul borrows a political slogan, but then he's going to bring it back in verse 17 to the power of the cross of Christ. And what he's getting at in the whole book of 1 Corinthians is that we need to be one people sitting at the same table. Why? Because of Jesus. 
We need to be united as one people because of Jesus. And through what power? The power of the cross. The power of weakness. We're going to get to that a little bit more. Rome uses slogans like this because it's known for Pax Romana, which is Latin for Roman peace. A 200-year period where the Roman Empire just controlled everything. They enforced peace and order through Roman imperialism. But Paul uses this language because he thinks that there's another kingdom besides the kingdom of Rome that's even more powerful, one not of this world, but where peace and order are enforced not through fear and punishment, but through grace and love of Jesus Christ. And so when Paul speaks like this, he is trying to help us see our own biases, our own political leanings, and all the traditions that we grew up with that might not be from Christ so that we can become a people of God who are united with Christ and in Christ. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the city of Corinth, just as we set up kind of the book that we're reading uh, for you guys. So please, if all of you would put your right hand right here and go like this. We're going to buckle in for a history lesson. Thank you, guys. Uh, Please bear with me for history tour. This is the city of Corinth. It's located, this is the Mediterranean Sea. And it's located right there. Okay, that's Corinth, right here. And uh, that's the city of Corinth. What you, what you would notice is that there's a sea on both the east and the west of the city. You guys notice that? You guys know what happens when a city is built kind of right next to the sea in uh, ancient empires? It's a trade port. And what's really unique about Corinth, why it's such a diverse multicultural kind of melting pot, quote unquote, city is because it has a trade port on both the east and the West. It's sitting on the uh, Isthmian Peninsula here in Peloponnesia. And uh, when you have a trade port on both the East and West, it becomes a trade hub for the Mediterranean Sea. And not only that, they also have trade routes going by land through their peninsula, right through there. And so you have trading routes through land, trading routes on both East and West in the sea. And so Corinth was a famous Greek city. It's a famous Greek city but it became a Roman province and actually became the, the, the capital of the province of Greece within the Roman Empire. Some of you guys might not know this, but did you guys know that the Greeks and Romans were different people? Not just like two different empires, but actually two different ethnic groups, okay? Uh, yeah, some of you guys are like, yeah, of course. Some of us are like, oh, that's new information, right? So what you have here in Corinth is this famous city that's incredibly well located for trade and for power and geopolitical relations. But it's a city that's been controlled by both the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire in different periods. And so by the time Paul gets there and he's writing there and there's a church there, it's a church that's diverse. Why? Because they have Greeks there. They have Romans there. They might not always like each other. But then they also have Jews who are kind of always the lowest on the totem pole in the Greco-Roman Empire. So you have Greeks, Romans, Jews, and then you have all sorts of other people who come there through trade. And that's the location that we find in 1 Corinthians. Paul explicitly addressed this. And what's interesting about this book is uh, some commentators call it the, quote-unquote, most modern book in the Bible. The most modern book in the whole Bible. Part of that, I think, is because it's such a diverse city. It's such a, a city that had so much influence in a whole region, which is like the world we live in today with social media and, and news outlets, etc. Uh, but it's also a book that deals with 
politics and nationalism. Maybe we can relate to that in America. Alcohol use, maybe we can relate to that in college. Sexual ethics, maybe that's a thing in our world. Uh, Gender issues, the gap between the rich and the poor, the things that people give their lives to that are not Jesus. All of these things are addressed in the book of 1 Corinthians. What's also interesting, though, is it's Paul's only letter where he addresses it to the church in the city of Corinth, but also to the churches everywhere where all of God's people live. It's one of those unique books that was written to Corinth, but then the same letter that was sent to Corinth was sent to churches all over the Greco-Roman Empire. And that's why Paul says in, uh, in the beginning in verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, dot, 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 together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And so Paul has this kind of intimate conversation with the Christians in the city of Corinth, but then he invites Christians everywhere to listen in. And I think, why? Because it's relevant for them too. And if it was relevant for them too, it's relevant for us today. And that's why we're reading it. A little bit more about uh, the city of Corinth. This is kind of like a a mock-up painting of the city of Corinth. And so you have the whole city here, but then you have this road leading up to this little mountain up there. And there's a little kind of like micro city up there called Acro-Corinth, meaning Corinth on the high place. And that is where the temple of Aphrodite was located. Does anybody know who uh, Aphrodite was? Who was she? The goddess of love and beauty and sex. And lust. Yeah, the goddess of love and lust, the Greek goddess. Uh, This is where we get the term aphrodisiac from. Same root word. If you know what that word means, if you don't, you can look it up. If not, that's fine. Uh, but the city of, of, of Corinth, this trade hub, any of you guys know uh, kind of what sailors are known for? Cursing, Cursing and, and not other great things, right? I don't know if uh, any of you guys were in the Navy, but sailors aren't really known for like great behavior. This is like a sailor city, okay? Uh, in fact, some writers of the time said the sacred hill city of Aphrodite, Corinth, there on account of the multitude of courtesans, that is prostitutes, uh, outsiders resorted, meaning they traveled there and vacationed there, in great numbers and kept holiday. And the merchants and soldiers who went there squandered all their money so that the following proverb arose in reference to them, not for every man is the voyage to Corinth. This is kind of what the city was like. That, uh, that photo I showed you, that, that temple of Aphrodite, it was filled with literally thousands of prostitutes who would come and go in and out of the city. And so Corinth became known as a city of gambling, of prostitution, of love, of lust, and of squandering wealth. It was uh, maybe like our modern day city of Las Vegas. Ask the Jacksons. Um, but a diverse city like Corinth, you guys might be like, what, what is Ben getting at? In a diverse city like Corinth, there would be competing identities fighting for the right to any person's soul. You have the voice of lust fighting to enter your mind as you see the prostitutes walking around and you hear the stories your friends tell. You have the urge to hustle and grind, to make money and succeed as you see all of the merchants bustling and negotiating constantly in the markets and the harbors. You have the urge to let your ethnic background dictate your relationships and rule the way that you see each person as you separate yourself to hang out with your people 
and neglect the other groups of people from different backgrounds as you because there's so many different people and you want to be with those who make you comfortable. All of these voices, but whose will you listen to? And the title of the sermon, you might remember, is Whose Voice Will You Hear? Whose voice will you hear? For the Corinthians, specifically the Christian Corinthians, the issues of nationalism and ethnic identity were pressing. Does that sound relatable at all to you guys today? Maybe. You know, Paul says, Paul says that he has heard about the divisions among the Jewish, or sorry, the, the Jesus followers in Corinth. And that some of them say, well, I follow Paul. Well, others say, I follow, I follow Apollos. Others, well, I follow Cephas. Come on now, Cephas, let's go. And then others, oh, but well, I, these guys, they follow Paul. I follow Christ, right? I'm a little bit better than them, aren't I? Paul hears this happening in the church. And on a surface reading, we might think, well, these guys just each have their, their favorite celebrity pastor, right? Their favorite, maybe they like the worship and the service by Paul a little bit better than the service by Cephas or Peter, right? And so well, that's a surface reading. Well, they just like hearing one person's teaching more than the other. I think there's something deeper than that. Think about it this way. Whatever your favorite news channel is, probably say, says something about your worldview. It probably said, and it probably forms the way that you see other people and the way that you think about the political issues of your day. Same with the type of news you read. Same with the accounts you follow on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, whatever have you. Uh, but when you think about this, I think what Paul is getting at, why he says Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and Christ, is he's talking about the specific groups that are kind of divided within the Christians in Corinth. What's interesting is Paul... Anybody know who he is a citizen of? Rome. We have a group of Romans in Corinth, right? So Paul, the Roman, is interesting, right? Apollos, anybody know where, where his name's from, where he's educated? Alexandria. Alexandria, this famous city for Greek philosophy. And his name is Greek. He's probably a Greek guy. So you have Paul, the Roman citizen. Apollos, the Greek philosopher, who's also a Christian. Then you have Cephas. Anybody know who Cephas is? He's Peter. But Cephas is his Aramaic name, his Hebrew name. In other words, his Jewish name, his non-Greek name. And that's the name that Paul uses to identify him here. You have Paul the Roman, Apollos the Greek, Cephas the Jew. And then you have those who say, I'm better than all these people who are identifying themselves with their ethnicity. Well, I follow Christ. You know, they're all worried about these things. Well, I'm not worried about those things. And what Paul is saying is each of you thinks you're better than the others. Even if you say, I'm better because I'm just focusing on Jesus, you're missing what's going on in your brothers' and sisters' lives and the things that they face and the daily pressures that they experience each day. Each of you is thinking about yourselves and missing the power of Christ that's meant to bring you to the same table as your brothers and sisters. And I think about a church community today and how most churches in America are separated on ethnic and racial lines. What they say is that uh, 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings is the most racially divided uh, that America is at any time uh, on any day. And that's crazy. You know, surely we can relate to some of the issues that the Corinthians were facing. It's a very real sense 
even that I wrestle with, with nationalist tendencies myself. I'll tell you guys a quick story. I'm Canadian uh, by, by nationality, but I was born in the States. Why are you going to boo me? That's crazy. Uh, <laughs> Canada, we're peaceful people, right? You know, I'm Canadian. My parents are from Canada, but I was born and raised in America. So I have kind of conflicting nationalist ties kind of going on inside of me. And I think I don't really care, right? That's why I usually think if you know me at all, you're like, Ben couldn't care less about kind of different politicians in America. Uh, but then some things happen, like I think about the healthcare system. My sister-in-law just gave birth. She lives in Toronto. She just gave birth two days ago. I finally became an uncle. I'm so excited. Um, but I hear about her experience, uh, her birthing experience in the hospital. And I'm like, American healthcare is so much better than Canadian. Like, this is crazy. I can't believe you experienced those things. That's not right. But then on the other hand is they get free healthcare. You know, it's not like this com- conflicting uh, identities within me of like, do I be angry at American healthcare? Do I be happy about it? Do I, you know, do I point the finger at Canada and say they're wrong? Or do I say they're better? So do I, you know, do I chant USA, USA? Anybody going to join me in? USA, no way. Uh, or do I sing, oh, Canada. He says neither. He says, just, just quit while you're ahead. Uh, and if I ask you, what voices from our cultures are you listening to? Specifically, which voices do you listen to that maybe are slightly contrary to the voice of Christ? And for me, I'm tempted to hear the voice of the marketplace a lot, if I'm honest. You know, I, it's really easy for me to get anxious about money. Well, my wife and I are building a house, and it's ridiculously expensive. It's way more expensive than we thought. And I can be stressed about money a lot. It can impact the way I see people and whether or not I want to be generous. If I'm honest, the voice of the marketplace, the voice of capitalism can whisper in my ear in ways contrary to that of Christ. And then I think about um, the voice of comfort, the voice of, of complacency, the voice that says, Benjamin, just hang out with those you're comfortable with. Don't talk to strangers you feel intimidated by. Don't build relationships with new people. Stay comfortable. Protect yourself. You don't have to be vulnerable with them. Just stay comfortable. Be safe. But that, that voice has nothing to do with the cross of Christ. When you think about Jesus going onto the cross, there's nothing comfortable about it. There's nothing safe about it. There's nothing complacent about it. It was not complicit with the Roman Empire. In fact, it stood in contrast to the powers of our day. It was the power of vulnerability. And so I hear these voices that want to tell me, fall into culture's lines. Keep the peace and chaos, you know, in the midst of you know, chaos through empire rather than through the way of the cross. And I think these same voices seep right into the church. Think about who you've talked to today. Was it people that you're already comfortable with? Was it people who think like you and look like you? Do you ever find yourself maybe talking bad about someone behind their back? If so, it's probably a division among you. Do you ever get angry with others, even if it's only internally, because you think that they're wrong about something? Well, it says something that your worldview might be different than theirs. And there's divisions among us. I can relate to those things. Or do you simply just think, you know, I'm usually right. People just don't understand me. They don't understand what it's like to be me. They don't understand my experiences. 
do you think maybe that you generally are, are better than others because you feel like you're a little bit more Christian than others? All of these things, well, well, I follow Christ. These people, they just don't understand my experience. I follow Christ. And some, some of us think we are the good ones here. But according to Paul, in all these things, we are emptying the cross of its power. Paul says he didn't come to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That's political language, announcing good news. That's what gospel means. The euangelion in, in Greek means good news. It was a political term when a new king was reigning. You would come and announce the good news that the new king is here. When Paul says, I came to preach the gospel, he's saying, I came to talk about how Christ is here. And if Christ is king, we're all united under his reign through the throne of the cross. Because if we don't hear the good news that Jesus has conquered death on the cross and conquered all the kingdoms of this world on the cross, then it won't matter who baptizes us. Because we have all missed the very message of new life in the first place. And some of, us, some of those of us who, who have, we remember the time when we said Jesus is Lord at our baptism. And when we're saying Jesus is Lord, we're simultaneously saying everything else is not. The very power of the cross conquers everything else. That on the cross, the naked and scorned, that being Jesus, the one who came to save, beaten and bruised until he was barely recognizable, suffered death, the death of a cross. All so that we could leave behind the things that have separated us. The sins that have separated us from God and that have separated us from one another. So that no barriers would keep us from experiencing God's love and peace as a united and unified people. Jesus died on the cross so that we could stop putting one another on crosses. So we might stop clinging to our Romanness and our Greekness or our Jewishness more than our Jesus. Think about the identities that you hold. And are they the biggest ones in your life? Or is Jesus the biggest thing in your life? You know, when, we, when we have what we need in Jesus... As has been said, we can, be, we can begin creating a larger table rather than a higher wall. I have two practices for us this morning for how we can do this this week, how we can try to start building a longer table rather than a higher wall with one another. The first is spend time with someone different from you this week. Spend time with someone different from you this week. And just try to begin learning what it's like to be them. Hear their story. Hear their experiences in this world. And my second practice for you this morning is share your faith with someone who scares you this week. Mm-hmm. Share your faith with someone who scares you. Because they probably scare you because they're a little bit different from you. Share your faith with them. Tell them about Jesus. Don't let the voice of fear be greater than the voice of Jesus in your, in your mind. But when the voices of this age speak to you this week, telling you to be your own person or to only hang out with your people or to get what's yours, remember not what, getting what yours is. Remember whose you are, that you are Jesus's. In the weeks to come, we'll talk more and more about the power of the cross and how to listen to that empowering voice more than all other voices. 
But this week, may the God of peace guide you. May he empower you to face your fears and be united with your brothers and sisters because that is the power of the cross. May you cling to your Jesus more than anything else or anyone else. And may Jesus be with you. Thank you, guys. Amen.